wanted to start off just with your you know, perspective as this ambassador of Italian cooking uh, in the U.S. I know you're knowledgeable about oil. I want to know why great oil is so important to what you do and w whether you think it plays a role besides just, you know, the cooking medium that keeps things from sticking in the skillet. Why is it imp oil important to you, great olive oil? The reason I think that olive oil is so critical um, in my cooking is that it directly connects with history and the tradition around it. Um, obviously, we're talking mostly about Italian cooking, uh, which is sort of my hallmark. But I will tell you that it's been my experience um, that it's all about taste at the end of the day. And, and so if you want to transport a guest, if I'm cooking in the United States and I want to transport a guest to Italy, I need things that will allow me to create that flavor profile that evokes that special meal that someone has had in the countryside in Tuscany or on the coast in Liguria or down in Sicily. And so if you look at this peninsula, the beauty of the olive is that, and it's funny, so many people, you know, don't even understand that, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot are totally different wines, but, you know, Tajasca olives are totally different from Cortina or from Frantoyo. So when you start talking about the olive, there's still a lot of, of unknowns or a lot of learning and teaching that we need to do. Because I would, I hate the word ignorance of the public, because how do they know until we figure out a way to better communicate it to them? I'm wondering what you might say to a chef, and there are so many who have only one olive oil in their kitchen. Why is it worth exploring the range of olive oils? So there are so many chefs that I know that have one olive oil that they work with. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate they don't know that there are so many varietals and that each, each olive and each oil and each geographic location where you'd find the oil, whether it's a Cornecchi from Greece or a Ojo Blanco from Spain or a, or a Frantoio from Italy, whatever it may be, a Grignano, you know, these are all varietals that are different and they're different because of also their geography. And each one of them gives a different perspective. So it's sort of like saying you're only going to have, you know, a white wine and a red wine on your list, or you're going to have, you know, so it there, I would, I'm hoping that over time, we're going to get more chefs to really appreciate the value of the olive, because if we're going to move it from a chef level, which is where people come to find information and learn what's new and trendy, you know, we had a molecular cuisine movement, and that's great. I want an olive oil movement. I want everyone to be in love with the olive and understand it, all of its history, as well as the health benefits to it, as well as what's most important to me, which is like the taste benefits of it. Um, that's important. I know that um, this part of this CIA IOC project is trying to get chefs to think more about pairing oils, oil styles with certain dishes. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how you think about the relationship between a, a, a style of oil, mild, medium, pungent, with us, you know, uh, whatever you're preparing. You know, I give a lot of credit to the CIA um, for being at the forefront of this conversation of the Mediterranean diet. And one of the pillars of that Mediterranean diet is the olive oil and the olive. Um, and I think it's important to also understand that all the initiatives that I've been blessed to be invited to participate in with the CIA have always included the element of the varietal, the health benefit, but also how do you use it and how do we expose the consumer to it? Um, uh, also the question about why chefs use one oil. I think there's a miss there uh, because 
each oil has its own personality and each of those oils then can eventually be married with the right dish. So let me think of a couple of examples. So, so if I did a beautiful bronzino that's like cooked in a salt crust and in that salt crust, I put some, you know, some orange and lemon peel and some peppercorns and things. And I, and I cook my whole fish and I make a little agrumi sauce, a citrus sauce of orange juice and lemon juice. And maybe I muddle a little mint and basil in it. And then I use a really nice light Ligurian oil, like a Tajasca olive. I will end up with this light floral, very aromatic. So when I fillet the fish table side and you drizzle that light uh, agrumi sauce on it, that's where you'll taste the elegance and the lightness of that particular oil. I might finish that with a powerful oil like a tondiblea uh, from Sicily because I want that, that powerful flavor to counteract the lightness of the vinaigrette and then have a moment where you get a little bit of power from the olive and you identify it. I typically choose olive oils that are more pungent and more powerful. And the reason behind it is I want to make, I want the preponderance of proof. I want the guests to really know that I'm serious about olive oil and olive oil is delicious and it makes a statement. Some of the more elegant oils like the Tajasca, like a Grignano, um, even like a Biancolilla, you know, are lighter, more elegant. Um, and they can easily get lost if you don't have the simplest of dish. So if you're going to use a Tajasca oil all by itself, you want to use it on a poached piece of fish by itself or, or, or something like a beautiful light salad that isn't too bitter because you want the oil to stand up to it. Whereas if you're going to use something that's more strong, like an arugula or a bitter or a radicchio lettuce, you want to use a stronger oil because it'll, it will stand up to the bitterness of those things. Speaking about bitterness as well, um, when you talk about taste, the olive, the quality of olive oil is directly related to how early in its growth or in its, in its uh, production, it's cultivated, it's, uh, it's, it's harvested and, and made into oil. Therefore it preserves, and we know, you know empirically through medical studies uh, and also for sensory taste profiles that the younger the olive, the greener the olive, the higher it is in polyphenols, the better it is for your body, you know, against obese and antioxidant, against, you know, diabetes and, and, and cardiovascular disease. It's a whole series of things that are good about the olive. But let's not get confused. We are still in a world where there's sort of a race to the bottom of the commodity of olive oil. So our job or my job or the reason I'm talking with you uh, uh, all this, because I believe that it's our job as chefs to elevate the stature of the olive and to show all the diversity so that if you're gonna use a, a borlotti bean or you're gonna make a lentil soup or stew, you want an oil that'll stand up to the lentil. So you wanna choose something that's you know, full flavored and full bodied, you know, something you know, maybe that's olivastra or something that has uh, lecina moreolo, the blends that you see in central Italy or even a coratina from Puglia. So depending on where you are and what you're making. So there's a number of dishes that you can choose. Do you think that in, in kitchens that are more plant forward, that are trying to use less meat or no meat, that olive oil plays an even more important role in, in the, that type of cooking? I'm also often asked about how, um, how plant forward cooking should be viewed with the use of the olive oil. And for me, um, I think it's, it's critical. You know, you go to Rome uh, and it's artichokes, it's artichokes everywhere. And whether it's carciofi fritti, fried artichokes and olive oil, or whether it's carciofi la romana braised with, you know, garlic and mint and, 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 uh, and, and, and basil and parsley. Um, however you cook it, 
uh, whether it's um, simple dishes, um, just like a, like a boiled bean salad or something like this, the quality of the oil that you use is going to be critical to the outcome of the, of the dish and what you're going to get. All this plant-forward food, there's a lot of it out there. Um, just, just think about all the, all the various sauces that can be made in the, in the Italian kitchen. So think about like an anchovy sauce or, or think about uh, with olive oil or a pesto or a pesto trapanese, the, the one they make in, in Sicily, or even salsa verde, the classic salsa verde on roasted, you know, uh, on almost anything that you want on, on, you know, roasted and grilled vegetables. So I think there's a real critical role. Let's face it, the olive oil is the only oil that didn't require man's re chemical or man's chemistry to make. You pick an olive, you press it, you, you, you separate the, the solids from the oil uh, and the water from the oil, and you have the natural, it's a fruit, uh, it's, it's, it's perishable, uh, it has to be handled correctly, it has to be kept out of you know, heat uh, and oxygen, not too much oxygen, not too much heat, in order to preserve the olive oil for as long as possible. And I think it's critical that all these things that people start learning about it and, and appreciating the delicateness, but the value both in terms of health, but for me as a chef, flavor. So when you talk about plant-forward cooking, olive oil should be at the center. It should be a pillar. You know, I know when I, uh, uh, in America, when I see my own friends cook or read American cookbooks, they're talking about olive oil use as a very, you know, it's like, how little can I get away with? I want to put just enough in the skillet to gloss the skillet and no more. I want to put just a few drops on a dish at the end. Would you contrast that way of thinking to how Italians tend to use olive oil? Well, my daughter who grew up with me has a saying that she learned from her dad, you can never have too much olive oil. So Julia will be the first person to tell you this. Uh, but I think that you can have olive oil in, in almost everything. When you see how the Italians use olive oil, it's in abundance. But remember, olive oil is still a fat. And therefore, we need to moderate the amount of fat that we take in. All the more reason you go quality over quantity. So again, we need to understand that if you're pouring lots of olive oil on something and it's not good olive oil, just to try to find some flavor, the better the oil, the more intense the flavor, the less you can use, and you don't sacrifice taste and you consume less oil. So I'm encouraging people to look for quality and excellence in olive oil and high sensory profiles in the flavor of the oil, because that will enhance any dish that, do, that you're making. It will add an element. It's not just an oil, it's a flavor, it's an ingredient. And in a lot of cases, I treat olive oil as a central ingredient to my dish. I actually sometimes cite it on my menu that we're using this particular oil so people understand. And then they'll ask the server, and this is part of how we educate, they ask the server, you know, well, why does he write, what is Tone de Blea? Well, it's a specific olive oil, and this is the olive that they use. And the chef believes that this olive oil is the right olive oil for this dish. And they'll say, if you'd like me to bring a little bit on the side for you to try, and we have little tasting glasses as well to show them and have an education on olive oil. Because if you can take the guest on that journey, if you can educate the guest without imposing, if you can guide them without like teaching them, then they find that as a learning experience and they walk away saying, wow, that was really cool. I learned something, I had no idea. And then you not only build customer loyalty, you build fans and you move the movement forward, getting people to ask more because as they ask more of us, 
they'll start asking more of the grocer and the supply chain will work all the way back to the producer eventually. What would you say to chefs who say, I can't afford good olive oil? You know, that's you're driving my food costs way up. How do you, you know, what do you say to these people and how can they get the maximum impact from the money that they do spend on extra virgin olive oil? I live in the world of running a business. So I'm extremely sensitive to chefs who say, well, you know, how do I serve such quality olive oil in my restaurant? I simply can't afford it. And I think affording it is a choice. It's a choice by the restaurateur and it's a choice. So clearly at a very, very inexpensive, you know, volume restaurant, maybe there is a case, but even in that context, there are oils that you can source that are delicious oils that are a little bit more volume based, but are still delicious. Uh, uh, there are brands out there that you can find. Conversely, I would encourage chefs to realize that you don't, if you're a chef of, of, of with, with the values on buying the best of quality, I don't think you're going to buy secondary meat or, or not fresh fish or, you know, you're going to buy the best. I just, I don't know otherwise, right? So for those chefs, I would say, know that you're adding something that is a value to your dish. Make sure that there's a perceived value from the consumer. Make sure that you're finding a way to take the guests on a journey and not merely adding the cost. And I think that if anything that we've learned today from the consumer, the consumer today wants to know better. They're curious. They, they want to know where things come from. They want the origin. They have cell phones. They're looking at it. They're researching things. So if you say ton de blea, they're going to go look it up on their phone. and Oh, wow, I didn't know. And they're going to they're be on some you know, website trying to buy it. So I believe that it's our job to do that. And I think that if the guest understands that this is your stance on quality, they're willing to pay an extra 50 cents for the dish or an extra dollar for a dish. I, I believe that. I think that you can add it into your costing. And I think that if it's a priority to you and you have loyal followers and aren't just coming to eat, to consume food, but to coming to dine, then it's up to you to take them on the journey as well. And you should be able to figure out a way to make money at it. Let's imagine that you are having friends over for dinner, uh, either in the restaurant or at home, and they're all vegetarian. Can you walk us through what you might serve um, that would showcase a range of oil styles, mild, medium, robust, work in an olio nuovo if you want, but uh, take us through this fantasy menu. I think I would probably, so if I, so if I had invited a bunch of friends over that were vegetarian and I needed to put together a menu, I would lean into the Mediterranean diet as much as possible. Um, and again, um, high in vegetable-based uh, appetizers. So I would do some sort of a caponata. I would make some sort of marinated carrots with a little bit of, of, of oregano and, and mint and, and a wisp of garlic, a couple drops of vinegar and olive oil. I would probably do a grilled, uh, um, a grilled zucchini that I like and make it scapece, some sort of a grilled zucchini and scapece. Um, and then I, I would stay in the vegetable area. And then I would probably do some sort of a, uh, of a, of a dry pasta. And I would do a dry pasta, whether you're using, if they were super, you know, serious about it, you know, even a lentil-based pasta or whatever. But if not, you know, just a dry durum wheat pasta. Um, and for me, I don't know, it's really hard to get beyond aglio, olio, peperoncino, you know, like the basic spaghetti, because that's one of my favorite dishes. But certainly any kind of medley of vegetables, um, you could certainly do, because aglio does it 
any cheese. That's just super clean. Uh, and then for me, I would do just an amazing um, uh, mixed grill of all grilled uh, grilled vegetables. And I would make three or four different vegetable-based sauces. So as they're eating, they could try a couple of different sauces, whether it be like a, uh, almost like a, uh, if I, I would probably do like an olio profumato, I might even do like a salsa verde or even um, or even like the pesto trapanese or um, some other the raw sauces that they could put on the, the mixed grill of vegetables. And of course, for dessert, I, I'd lean heavily into my into all the fruit. And by the way, olive oil is great with fruit. Olive oil is great with chocolate, believe it or not. Any thoughts about the uh, olive oil style that you like with desserts or with, with fruit or with chocolate? Uh, I'm currently doing a, an, an olive oil chocolate mousse. Um, and there again, I want the olive oil. So I, I choose an oil um, uh, that's very floral, uh, an oil that um, has uh, a good amount of, of substance to it. So I would actually, currently I'm using a piqual um, that I'm just loving. Um, uh, I have a producer that I really like their, their oil. And so I make this beautiful olive oil mousse in a very classic style, but I take out all the butter and make it hundred percent with olive oil. And then when I serve it, I go to the table with a little olive oil cause I serve it in a little glass. Uh, and then they go with a drizzle of olive oil and people are like, what are you doing? You're putting olive oil on my dessert. And as a, it's an olive oil mousse. And then we grate a little bit of fresh chocolate on top of it right at the end. And it's just delicious. And you get at that point when you taste it, you get the floralness of the olive oil and it really marries well with the chocolate. It's pretty delicious. And then for, for lighter uh, fruits uh, that are lower in acid, you can use an oil that is lighter, as I said, like a Tajasca or a Grignano or, or the Biancolillo or the Ojo Blanco or whatever, one of the lighter ones. Or if you're going to do one uh, that has like stronger fruit that has a little more acidity or richer in flavor, you can step up to a little bit bigger oil. And you can add things like a little vanilla or something like this and, and basil and vanilla and a little um, star anise or things to add a little bit of unique flavor that really is enhanced by the olive oil. I uh, saw a menu yesterday from uh, Spain where the chef had called out you know, the oil, the, the region or the variety that the oil was made on for, for several different dishes. Can you... Um, is, that's something you would encourage chefs to think about doing. Can you see us heading in that direction with olive oil? Uh, some colleagues of mine are already doing this where they're putting a specific dish on the menu and they're citing um, what the olive is or where it comes from the region. So in my case, if I were to use a piqual in an Italian restaurant, piqual, Spanish or uh, varietal, they're like, or an arbequina, like, why are you using, you know, piqual and, you know, and, and arbequina in your restaurant? I'm like, because I love it because it's delicious and it's an olive that has a flavor profile that I think is the right marriage for this dish. Obviously I'm heavy into the, all the Italian oils, but you know, because I like Italian wine doesn't mean I won't drink a French wine or, I mean, let's face it, you know? So, so when I mix and match these um, and I, and I, and I think it's important because sometimes uh, it gives the server or the guest the curiosity, the way you write it to make them ask, well, what exactly is this? And that's the entry for the service step and go, oh, the chef does this and this and this, and here's why I choose this particular oil. So I encourage it because it is elevating the presence and the stature of olive oil as a major ingredient, not just something you drizzle on the dish or you use to saute something or make a salad dressing. No, no, no. It's way more than that. And, and the way we 
position it on our menus will elevate the stature. That will create consumer interest. That will eventually become something that they will run all the way back up the supply chain and have a greater demand for quality at their stores. Um, And finally, Paul, I hope that you could provide a sort of a wrap-up statement that would invite chefs to think differently about olive oil uh, and the the olive oil experience that they're offering guests in their restaurant. So if I were to have to sort of conclude um, our talk with um, my pitch to my colleagues, uh, but it isn't really just to my colleagues, but but to anyone, have a greater appreciation for the olive because it is it's it's natural to man. We're living in a moment where there's climate change. The olive tree um, lives in very arid climates. It's a perennial. It's a fruit. It requires very little farming. It requires very little oil or water when we're in a period where there's lots of of shortages of water. And it's been around for thousands and thousands, for millennia. It has religious connotations, um, the olive branch. There's so much to it that is so, understand that the olive isn't just this oil that we work with. It's it's God's gift. It, It is the gift that nature has given us and how we respect the olive, the tree for the future will only enhance our table. And by enhancing it at our table, it also has legitimate, measurable health benefits. First, it's about taste, but think of all the good we're doing, both for the climate, for the future, by supporting quality olive oil, but also the beauty of the flavor. And then the ancillary benefit, good olive oil that's picked young enough, that's picked you know green enough, that's hand that has richness of flavor, um, high in polyphenols, high in antioxidants, very good for you, you know, fighting chronic disease, um, diabetes, all these other things. I think it's more than just what's at the table. There's something bigger at play here. Thank you. Thank you for bringing all those strands together at the end. That uh, was very helpful. Early on, when I really started learning about olive oil, um, and it's funny because all the years I was in Italy, I worked, uh, you know, in, in a frontoio and I thought I knew something about olive oil. I did a tasting with the Maestro Aviati in Milano years ago. And, and I started tasting these stronger oils and I, I gained a quick appreciation for it. But there's clearly a, a love in America, in the American palate, for things that are salty and sweet. We struggle a little bit more with acidity and we struggle a lot with bitterness. So what I've started to do as a chef is include little elements of bitterness in all of the dishes that I do, not all, but many of the dishes, where it'll be a little bit of wilted arugula or a little bit of wilted radicchio or an herb that has a little bit of a bitterness tinge to it or certain ingredients that are a little bit more on the bitter side so that I add that to the palate profile. The amount of oil that you use, the stronger the oil, the higher the pungency and the higher, in most cases, the bitterness. Bitter should be learned to, to be appreciated. Therefore, it's so critical the way in which you choose the dish and how you use the oil so that that powerful oil is supported with something so it's not a standalone hit of bitterness, but it's something where you're eating a, a beautiful uh, beans or lentils or a vegetable and all of a sudden that's very nice and creamy and all of a sudden you get that hit of bitterness. That's something that can be welcomed. So um, we need to add it to our to our 
And I'm also a fan of adding a good amount of acidity in my cooking because I'm adding high acid. I think high acid makes food um, more appetizing and makes you want to eat more uh, easier. It's more digestible as well. Uh, we, we need to be very careful in America because salt is very dangerous for you and sugar is maybe the most dangerous thing. So staying away from salt and sweet, we truly should be eating the other two, which are high acid, which is good for your body and, and things like high in powder, like the olive oil that's, that's high in pelifinos. So to me, it's a health choice, but it's also palate choice as well. And it's up to us as chefs to educate the consumer a little bit, not overnight, not immediately going to hard bitter, but slowly incorporating. Think about it. Think about 20 years ago, how rare it was to find a, a dark bitter chocolate on the shelf anywhere. You know, whether it was the brands that were selling the, the kitty candy bars to then most of it was milk chocolate, which is, you know, different. And then now it's not uncommon to find 70, 72 plus uh, percent uh, uh, cocoa in, in dark bitter chocolates. So our palates are changing over time.